Have you been the victim of unfair treatment by a business or a corporation? Has this ever happened to you? Be the baby of the year. Hello and welcome back to the Turbo Team Podcast. It's episode 38. I'm your host, Jake Bren, back at Simpson College, God's Country. Alongside me, not back to college yet, we've got Ben Neeson, also known as Wes Anderson. How are you, Wes? Uh, just waiting for my, uh, film, The French Dispatch to hit theaters and, uh, take the award season by storm. Yeah, we're waiting. We're waiting. Also with me today, two states over in, uh, Paradise, Indiana, we've got Alex Powell. How are you doing, Alex? Uh, terrible, Jake. Iowa sucks and my life is in shambles. You heard the man. <laughs> His life is in shambles. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. And also with us today, for the first time, a long-time listener, first-time guest, we've got brother of the program, Mitch Neeson, Ben's older brother, coming live from uh, Utah. What I'd argue is actually God's country. He uh, he was on kind of one time, remember? Him and Ben were like sitting next to each other when we recorded the Sorry to Bother You episode. Oh, of course. Our most serious episode. Yeah. and uh, <laughs> Everyone will remember that. All of the listeners remember that. How are you, Mitch? Thanks, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm, I'm doing all right. I, uh, I got put into quarantine again just tonight. I just found out my roommate moved out, but not not without hanging out and hanging around with me with COVID. So I'm doing all right. I just got to hang out at my cabin for the next 10 or so days. So that'll be – that's what's up. <laughs> Perfect time to binge the Turbo Team podcast. Check. So Mitch is 21, and he's going to be locked in his cabin for the next 10 days. So do you know what he can do? He can gamble on live sports. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, Thrive Fantasy app. Thrive Fantasy has all your DFS and esports gambling wants. Be sure to use promo code AROUND at sign up and receive a deposit bonus of up to $50. First-time users, be sure to use promo code AROUND at sign up and Thrive will match any deposit up to $50. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, the Thrive Fantasy app, for sponsoring the Turbo Team podcast. I'd like to advise I'd like to advise listeners not to f- bet on the Iowa basketball team because they're f- and can't live up to the hype. F- to thank bet you, Alex. Game. All right, let's get to the review. Oh, yeah. We're doing Midsummer this week. <laughs> So, so speaking of death or doing stuff bad, uh, let's talk about Midsummer. Uh, Midsummer is a 2019 film that came out with, uh, came out by Ari Aster, uh, starring Florence Pugh. That's really the only casting uh, person that's important in this movie. Will Poulter's in this. He's been in a lot, but Florence Jack Rayner. Yeah, Jack Rayner's best boyfriend ever. Award. We're the Millers. Uh, Jackson Harper looks like Pascal Siakam. Yeah, he does. Spicy P. Mm-hmm. But anyways, as I was saying, Florence Pugh is the only one that matters if uh, if, if you kind of feel what I'm saying. What? I guess you don't, Ben. But uh, Ben's going to take us through his uh, key synopsis through the film. Is it off the dome, Wikipedia, or IMDb today, Ben? Um, This one's Google search, the first result. I'm uh, really putting in the effort this week. 
Anyways, Midsummer is about a couple who travel to Sweden to visit their friend's rural hometown for its fabled Midsummer Festival. But what begins as an idealistic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Hey, yo there, cult. You could you could say that for sure. This movie, uh, say that. this movie, I unfortunately did not get to see in the theater when you guys went together when it came out. Uh, I watched it for the first time alone in quarantine like three months ago. Not exactly the best time to watch it. Mitch, I'm sure you can attest to that. Mitch watched it for the first time, was it this morning or yesterday? Yeah, I started I started it this uh, last night, but then it got too scary for me, so I had to put it off, and I watched the rest of it this morning before work. Uh, it gets even scarier towards the end. Yeah. <laughs> but it's daytime, at least. Yeah, but yeah, when it's morning time, think, like scary stuff just seems kind of funny, and so that's just sort of how it <laughs> Now that yeah. it's nighttime, it's starting to like, like seep in me, and I'm sort of feeling it. Like, like, oh, this kind of it is kind of a very creepy movie. <coughs> the scene where she's in like that restroom <coughs> after they do the mushrooms, and like in the background, you can see like the like a apparition of like her sister with like the mm-hmm. exhaust pipe duct taped to her mouth. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That scene, that scene freaked me out for weeks. I don't know why. <laughs> what? I'm going to the one so, out, yeah. Mitch, did you watch them jumping off the cliff last night or this morning? Uh, I watched that last night. Oh, that so that was pretty scary back then. I watched it today, and it's still equally as funny. Yeah, <laughs> it honestly wasn't that scary. I thought it was more kind of funny because I kind of I kind of saw that kind of I thought that was going to happen, but I mean, I was a little more shocked when they like when they use the like the the hammer that giant hammer or that gavel and that's the ball that was a like a watermelon man yeah drop the hammer <laughs> yeah like a watermelon man drop the hammer like a watermelon man Mitch, what did, you, what did you think about this movie um i mean that's a pretty vague question i think Honestly, uh, the part, the fact that it was sort of was set all like pretty much in the daytime, besides like a, I guess a couple scenes here and there, um, sort of made it like not as creepy, but it also sort of makes it makes me feel like, oh wow, I wonder if this like if they had more like suspense and like in if it was darker, then I wonder how like even more terrifying it would be. But like nonetheless, like I thought. I thought all the scene shot and like the, the cinematography, I thought it was like all very beautiful. Like where they were located, I thought it was like super pretty. And I really like enjoyed like all the colors and um, yeah, stuff like that pretty much. Yeah, definitely one of the prettiest movies of all time. I know, I know, <laughs> I know Alex thinks that the, uh, just like all the shots of the midnight sun and just like, I mean, they're just like on a mountain in Sweden and it's always light out. Like, of course, it's going to be beautiful. And then there's like absolutely no dark colors in the movie at all. It's all either. The beginning's really, the beginning's very dull and dark. And then when they get to Sweden, it brightens up. Yeah. When they're in Sweden, it's all just like white dresses, uh, flowers as crowns, even like the darkest part of the movie, which is fire. Like orange is a bright, vibrant color, so it's a it's a very light movie. Which opposite to Hereditary, 
which is also done by Ari Aster. It kind of tackles like the same type of themes in like completely opposite ways where, I mean, Hereditary is one of the darkest, like shot, most dim shot movies. And then Midsummer attacks grief and I, I don't know, cults <laughs> like it could happen in broad daylight is kind of how I took it. Like it's always going to be light out, but I don't know. There might be a cult out there somewhere. Yeah. That's how I. Yeah. I live, I mean, I live in Utah right now at the moment and there's definitely seems, I definitely like recognized a few of these actors in this movie. I'm like, Hey, I think I saw this person at the, like the grocery store the other day. Like, <laughs> it's like eerily similar. <laughs> I don't know if it's uh, similar to like uh Mormonism, but I mean, I mean, take it as you will. I mean, I think, um, it, it is I, as, as someone that did a research paper on Mormonism, it's not very similar. And uh, not to terrify you, Mitch, but I did see something that said all of the U.S. scenes were filmed in Utah. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. See that. <laughs> I looked it up. That was a little bit more. That wasn't exactly where I was at, but yeah, it definitely did. Honestly, a lot of it did look like like Utah, and sort of honestly, kind of where I live a little bit too. So it's a little scary. Ben, what did you think about this movie? Or I guess, what did you like? We'll do the traditional review. How's that? You always ask what the traditional is asking what my thoughts were on it, but whatever. Uh, There's a lot to like in this one. First of all, I think the beginning of the film is excellent. The way they shoot it very darkly. Uh, I forgot that it had that little painting, like that traditional like art that like folds away at the end that just, is on the screen for like 20 seconds showing the events of the film. But the way it shows the desolate winter woods and these very dreary color palettes with very cold imagery. And then it's suddenly like being shook up by the phone call that like shakes up uh, Danny's life. Practically I thought was a really neat idea that they did visually showing the isolation, the um, chilly cold that she feels when she's at home or that she feels in that moment when she's denied by Christian world's best boyfriend um, and is uh, found out that like her sister like took her entire family. Like now she's kind of an orphan and then she's not receiving any help or any family from anyone else. Cause everyone else is gone. And once again, Christian is garbage. Yeah, dude. Christian's but. one of the worst movie characters of all time. I, I hate him. Also, he had he wears shirts that are super long, but the sleeves are like super short, and it's just really annoying. He looks like, like he wears one of those uh, shirts that like always show up in detergent commercials. They're like, "Are your shirts too wrinkly? Are they all yeah, loose yeah. and torn up?" Yeah, he's mm-hmm. that guy. Seems like he saw all those shirts and thought, this is fashion. This is what fashion is. Christian <laughs> could have been played by Ben Affleck and there would have been no difference. Jake, not every movie needs to be compared to Gone Girl. No, I'm just Ben, Aff- ben Affleck was is a is a drunk with a back tattoo. Uh, at least Chris Christian's is kind of a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know why you have him like that that clothing. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter that much, but I did notice that, like how like how like like um, Sunday casual his like attire was throughout the whole movie, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, Christian's adored. He just has like such an aloof personality. Like it's just like everything. He's like, like okay, oh well, oh well, whatever. It it. <laughs> he was like everything that happened. Just like oh bother, I'm just gonna go. On. 
<laughs> like, yeah, like when the two seventy-two-year-olds uh, were jumping off the cliff, he kind of just like holding his chest and like coughing into his mouth, like he had like indigestion or something. <laughs> oh man, front of the oh, this is heavy. <laughs> oh, he's dead. Oh, dang. You want to get out of here? So much Cholula on my food. <laughs> I mean, I think like. I mean, there's a lot of messed up stuff in this movie, but one of the most messed up things was after. Take. Uh, gosh, what? I can't even think of her name. What is? What's Florence Pugh's name in this? Danny. Uh, Danny. When Danny finds about her family and cries herself to sleep the entire night, next she's like, "Uh, I'm, I'm gonna go to a party. Just stop by for a few minutes." Just yeah. like oh, that is insanely <laughs> messed up, and it's like not even like one of the most messed up cultish things that happens but it just shows yeah. how all yeah, the, real, the real the real cultish uh in this movie's men am i right <laughs> shut up <laughs> i think it i think it says a lot to Ari Aster's writing ability of how really big of a pos he made uh christian you know like it was pretty good writing to make a guy that bad you know in, <laughs> in just every way possible and it's <laughs> So he's, I don't know if he's like the direct antagonist of the movie because there's kind of a cult going on. I would say the antagonist is the one killing them all. So Yeah, but he's also, he's kind of like an antagonist without doing anything like completely and utterly evil. Like almost every antagonist I mean, is like, <laughs> a, especially he, like a thriller. That, but he's not doing like something like He's not committing any crimes or doing anything like that. He's just like being super inconsiderate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like gaslighting his girlfriend and like freaking like clearly ignoring everything that she's asking him to do. He's just so tired of her. <laughs> he's just <laughs> he's at the like, point. <laughs> she's like, yeah, your family died. Whatever. Can we go to this party? <laughs> he's just like so non confrontational. <laughs> he's very not. He's a push everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Will Poulter who plays Mark in this. Basically, plays every Will Poulter character ever, with the exception of uh, him and We Are the Millers. So uh, <laughs> he's always he's always like a like he's like the smartass of the group. Always makes one offhand comments. Uh, always the guy that you know doesn't know when to shut up. Uh, and that's just him in every movie, especially this one. Uh, again, except in We Are the Millers, where where he's he is the complete opposite. So stop praising We Are the Millers. He looks like from Toy Story. Uh, what? Sid is that his <laughs> name? The kid from Toy Story. Yo, he trims. Oh, I think one of the one of the coolest thing about this movie was just like the symbolism, and that's something that I picked up on the second time watching it. I one example when uh, Pele was talking to Danny after yeah after the people jumped off the cliff and he was like oh yeah my my parents died too in a fire and then mm-hmm. like obviously you pick up on that because you know what happens at the end of the movie but then mm-hmm. also like pretty much five seconds after he says that it does a pretty cool like fade in shot to a fire and then fading back out to Danny outside and it, it was just like pretty creative symbolism and filmmaking by Ari Aster just to and he did that multiple times, but that was, I think, the one that I picked up on the most in my second time watching it, where it's just, it's very attention to detail, and it's a rewarding thing to watch again. 
I'm not entirely sure the symbolism of it, but the scenes are foreshadowing. Foreshadowing would be yeah. the word. <laughs> uh, accidents are my Xbox. Sorry, uh, but the scene uh, when they're in the apartment, right when like they say that Danny can come to Sweden, but when Christian and Danny walk in the door, we just get a cut of uh, Mark, Josh, and Pele on the couch. And then in a mirror above the couch, we see the reflection of uh, Danny and Christian. And they have a whole conversation with just this one shot where we only see Danny and Christian in this mirror. I just thought that was a really cool shot. Uh, and then obviously, one of the best transitions I've ever seen when Danny excuses herself to go to the bathroom in the apartment. And then it goes to an aerial shot above the door. And then it, she cuts to her basically like in the airplane on the way to Sweden. Yeah, and in the bathroom, the bathroom on the airplane. That's one of the best transitions I've ever seen. It was, I was just about was really to, I was just about to bring up those two transitions because they did that little static imagery like multiple times in that first yeah. scene where before yep. they reached Sweden. Like it was when Danny had originally called um, Christian to talk about things, and then Christian's just displaying his true nature of a perfect uh, show of character uh, as he like tried to quote unquote comfort her, I guess. And it just shows her like it just stays in her face while she works through it, and it does that for like three minutes. And then there was another time where they came home from the party, and she realized that they were going to Sweden, and he didn't tell her, and it's two weeks away. And it's them talking about that. And once again, it's just another one of those static shots where Christian's in a mirror and then Danny's in the foreground. And they argue about that for a couple of minutes. And then, yeah, the way they did that with uh, the rest of Christian's friends, it really showed like the whole static um, state of their friendship or their quote unquote friendship, because it seems pretty stale. It seems pretty awkward there's not a whole lot of engagement from any of the sides and i think that's what that was trying to really explain there it's really showing the distance between them not to mention that uh plane transition which really uh showed how uh like it showed the passage of time went by super quickly from those two weeks to the plane ride and showed how that she's not ready at all for this because it's way too soon she's still having panic attacks like she had then and then is having on the plane ride there mm-hmm. so it shows that like yeah visually the she's not movie, ready for this. the whole movie is just filled with symbolism it we could this episode would be three hours long if we went and broke broke down every single you know piece of symbolism right, we're gonna it, do but, it uh, i got no <laughs> mitch uh, what, what were some other things that you liked about this mitch uh yeah you were kind of talking about how the the transitions between uh each like sort of scenes i thought uh when they were like first driving into the camp uh when they first arrived to sweden they sort of they flipped the camera upside down and they were like going upside down like through the camp and the whole shot was them like on the road you know what i'm talking about going upside down and i thought that i i I took that as like sort of feeling like helpless like you weren't like you're not in control because like obviously when you're like driving on the road you just want to I, you just want the camera to be, you know, upside front. You know, you just want to be looking straight ahead, but then it's upside down. You sort of feel like that feels kind of like you're being carried or like you're like out of your element. Yeah. Or like you're, you're being brought somewhere uh, out of your own power sort of a thing. And so that sort of shot made me like, like I thought that that sort of did like pretty good foreshadowing and pretty good camera work to like, okay, like this is like, these, like these people are not going to be in their element or they're not going to be, 
um, comfortable where they're at. And so I like that shot a lot. I'm going to take me on my element. Yeah, take me on my element. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, You guys have any more? I mean, any more stuff that sticks out to you guys? Like I said, there's so much that we could talk about. The whole scene where, you know, he drinks the girl's period blood. Uh, where uh, the scene where all the like when Will dies because he pees on that tree. It's a family. <laughs> like there's so much. Like there's so much we could talk about. Like I guess I guess I don't know. If it, yeah, Mitch, what, what were your reactions about? to specific scenes in this film? Because as a first time watcher, it can get it can be kind of shocking seeing some. Yeah, of this stuff. I I've seen this movie a ton. I'm pretty sure Jake and Ben have too. Mitch, I'm more interested in just hearing what you have to say. Uh, okay, we'll name a scene, and I'll tell you. Uh, Just which what are some that stuck out to you that we haven't talked about yet? Uh, when they when they uh when they uh Bill Cosby Christian. Yeah. Um, I mean that didn't really surprise me. They were sort of force feeding drugs to everybody the whole time, and so, <clears throat> I mean that didn't really shock me that much. I'm like, okay, this this is to be expected. You know, you start off, you start off at first base and then you, you know, make your way around the bag, you know? And so I'm not surprised, you know, they, they really went for a home run with that, um, that last drug that sort of knocked Christian out and like put him, ended up, he ended up in that wheelchair, you know? <laughs> in the, in the bear costume. In the bear costume. Yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> ending, but Yeah. The scene of him getting the whole scenes of them getting burned alive is so funny just because like they're <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you take this weird honey thing and you won't feel a thing. And then it just cuts to this guy clearly being in a ton of pain as he's being burned alive. So and then uh, and then there's Christian who's just kind of sitting there, can't really like do anything because he's basically paralyzed. And he's just like kind of looking around and then he burns to death, too. And then. Uh, it cuts to the final scene of Florence Pugh just watching the flames, and you can kind of see the reflection in her eyes, and then the the village people like crying as they feel the pain as the burn victims or something. I don't, I never really understood that. They part. like share their feelings as a village, like yeah. that's the whole thing because they're a tight knit community, like so much so that they'll share in like their celebrations. They'll sell, <laughs> they'll share when they feel good, and they share when they feel bad. And like that's yeah. why they're all mimicking each other, and that's why Danny feels like she's found a place for her, just because she found that family, albeit one that's not positive or not good for her at all. Yeah, but it's I, one uh, that will actually have empathy that she hasn't had before. I was reading or listening to something about when uh, Ari Aster was writing this movie. He like actually researched real Midsummer festivals. And the whole like human sacrifice thing is like something that like just doesn't happen at like and in like any history of the Midsummer Festival, there've never been like a recorded cases of like human sacri- like sacri- uh, sacrifices. That's just some like he studied these like pretty in depthly, like attended them in like Germany and Sweden and all these like foreign countries, and then he just made up the whole part about them sacrificing people, which I think is hilarious, but also uh, pays attribute to how good of a writer he is. And, uh, Mitch, anything else you have to say about the movie? Um, I really did like how I think one of my favorite parts, I think, um, I did enjoy seeing the whole face cut off and put on somebody else's body. I did think that was like, 
I think that was pretty hardcore, and I, I do enjoy whenever I see that in a movie. It's not the first time I've seen it that in a movie, I think, and uh, I hope it's not the last. But I did, I did think those are that's pretty good. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, I don't, I thought they, they like. I feel like Josh was sort of the only like level-headed one that was sort of just like he was like the only like real protagonist. He and Danny were like the only ones I was like really rooting for. Um, and obviously, obviously Josh, I think he like stole that book. Was that correct? He like stole that, that, uh, that Bible sort of thing. He wasn't supposed to like look at it. He's not yeah. only like certain people could look at it and he like snuck in and look at, looked at it. And he was going to take pictures yeah. and put it in his uh, thesis and he he's not allowed to. So, yeah. Okay. That's hey, kind of his fault. Wow. He should have known better. Honestly, I think, <laughs> yeah. Um, I th- he should eat all the fully loaded nachos go ahead mitch <laughs> well i think yeah i think they sort of i mean obviously they like i guess they showed like the guy with uh uh the face uh uh will astor or whatever his name's face mark mark yeah mark's face i saw i that part when they like they they bludgeoned they hit josh in the back of the head and they sort of drag him away but i kind of wish there was a little bit more of like closure with like how that sort of ended, but I guess that sort of just goes to show you like how focused on like Danny and Christian's like sort of relationship was because I think, I think I did read, I I listened to and uh, Ari Aster was saying how this is like uh, a relationship, like a breakup movie pretty much and how, Mm -hmm. and how this was like, it's just like a folklore, like twisted sort of breakup movie that sort of, is unlike any other breakup rom-com or like romantic kind of movie ever. <laughs> so I thought, I mean, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I thought that was pretty um, obvious. Trying to, call- trying to focus on that, the Christian uh, Danny relationship more than anything. Have you seen Hereditary, Mitch? No, uh-uh. Uh, okay. Ben and Jake, we're, what do you guys think about the similarities and differences between Hereditary and Midsummer? If you want to do just a quick comparison, real quick, we you might do have done this, we might have done this in the Hereditary episode, but I'm not sure. I think we did, but okay. So I I think the main difference is they're both attacking similar themes in extremely different ways. So like, mm-hmm. Hereditary is obviously about death. I mean that. Like that's from like the very start of the movie from the mother being like, I I can't, I won't spoil it for Mitch, but I think Midsummer is also about death in a way, but I think it's more like about what to do after death. I I don't know that like, like life. Yeah. it, It there's death involved, but it seems like more finding like ways past death, like what to do with your life. And hereditary yeah. feels more depressing, and like the end of the movie feels like the end of the movie in hereditary because I, I guess I won't spoil it for Mitch, but yeah, you know. And in Midsummer, it ends with like Florence Pugh smiling, like even though she's messed up on a bunch of different drugs and maybe isn't actually smiling, if, if you know what I'm saying. It tackles grief in a way too, where the whole movie we're just trying to see Florence Pugh really try to come to grips with, you know, her whole family's gone, or you know, her sister killed them all, and the 
homicide suicide or whatever but uh the whole movie we're, we're just kind of trying to see her come to grips with it and also it's not helping that her boyfriend is terrible and just obviously doesn't really want her around or cares about her anymore and okay. so we're, we're really seeing her progress to the different levels of emotion and eventually like you said towards the end where we see her smiling but it almost seems like she's happy in a way but it could be the drugs but in the moment, on the surface, it seems like she's finally, you know, kind of getting back in the right mindset, even if it is as the leader amongst a, a cult, you know. Yeah, anyways, I think like at its deepest core, it was showing that in the cult, like no matter what happens in the movie, uh, it's going to end up happening towards the end of the movie because the cult, the cult is the antagonist of the movie in both. In Hereditary, we saw that the movie was shot like from the outside, like the family was always being watched, which leads to show that it's like kind of being uh, shot from like the devil's perspective or from the cult's perspective. And in this movie, you can just uh, like from the very start, as Mitch said earlier, they're all just being fed drugs consistently. And it was all just being slowly towards their demise towards um, ending up in the cult. And then at the end, I guess Danny did. She found her new family. So I think that both movies in a way were similar in the sense where like destiny was just the cult was going to win. So yeah, do you have any negatives uh, before we get into our rating? Uh, I thought the special effects weren't very good. Uh, as far as like, like when they smash the guy's head in or like when they're in the uh, the big house that they burned down, I thought like the dead bodies looked clearly very fake. Obviously, I've never seen a dead body before, but I can tell that's not what they look like. It just looked very <laughs> artificial. Very, you, you just said that. <laughs> very, it looks very artificial. Very like something like a high school theater production will put together during their performance of Frankenstein or something. I don't know. Like it didn't look good, you know. Uh, the, the budget for this movie is only $9 million, so I think it has something to do with that. They didn't really have a whole lot of money to uh, you know, spend on the dead bodies and special effects and stuff, especially since like the uh, setting was... So I assume it costs a lot to film there so and build all those houses and buildings and stuff. So that, yeah, uh, that, was, my, that was my biggest negative. Uh, very, very disturbing imagery, but I wouldn't say that takes away from the movie. It's just hard to look at at times. Uh, Watch ben up Paddington 2, bro, if you're not into Shut it. Shut up. Uh, do you guys have any negatives, or is Ben going to stop not taking this seriously? Yeah, because you're taking it so seriously. I mean, I would say, like, a big negative is really just kind of the gruesomeness of it. Uh, I can do violence in movies, but, like, the second it's broken limbs and stuff like that, or... Uh, collapsed in faces it's kind of just a no-go for me so that part is always hard to watch similar i think that was like the exact same thing i said about hereditary it was just like sometimes it's too gruesome and too dark for me other than that there's not really much i th- i think it's a very well done movie and as hard as it is to watch it's a very like easy movie to watch because everything is so like I mean, outside of the gruesomeness is so like pleasant on the eye, just the scenery and everything like that. But yeah, negative gruesomeness. Shout out. Ben, what Ben? Okay. So a long time ago when Ben first saw the movie, he saw like, he was like, it was like pretty creepy, but there was this one part that made me laugh so hard. 
and I, I was just like, I, I was thinking that going into the movie, and so I was just curious as to what that part in the movie Ben was talking about that he thought was so funny. <laughs> well, you texted me earlier and said that you thought you'd saw it, but yeah, it's the scene where they drug Christian and then have him have ritual sex with like a 16 year old or whatever. And then all of the 70 year olds uh, join in and egg him on during it. <laughs> and it was, that was, that was the part I thought, the, the part that I thought was so funny <laughs> is when, like, in the middle of it, it's happening, and then it cuts to, like, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yep. yep. like, yeah. and he's just watching, and he's just he moaning in the background. And I was like, that just, that made no sense to me at all. Oh. I don't know. It was so funny. It was so funny at the time. Alex can attest to it, because we yeah. went and saw this at a 10 p.m. showing in Jordan Creek. One of our friends was like, "You gotta watch it. It's so amazing. It's so funny." There's like this part did, that you wait. Love. Did you not go with us the first time, Ben? What do you mean the first time? Yeah, I went with that you the was, first time. We, you had seen it when we saw it that that night. That was the second time I'd seen it. Oh, really? I'd seen, yeah, I thought it was with you. It was me. I think Kyle, Kyle, and like Bert, Blake. No, and then Mankey. I think we saw it like the, the one night, and then we laughed so hard at that scene. We were like, we have to tell everybody about this movie. And then we told you guys, and we went and saw it a second time, like two days later. And then that was the showing that, you know, the guy yelled at us for laughing so hard <laughs> at that scene. <laughs> yeah, there was a five-minute – it was like a five-minute long scene. And uh, shout-out Kyle Koontz and Jacob Lepper, but they wouldn't shut up. They were laughing so hard at that <laughs> that they ended you- up just – like laughing. Don't, don't try to be above everyone else. We were both laughing very well. Hard yeah, I know. I was I was aware of it. I was like, this, we gotta slow down a little bit. And then it cut to the guy laying down, like Mitch said, and I lost it again. And we uh yeah, we got yelled at by someone behind us, uh just to remind us that some people had pay for it. But yeah, Anthony the Anthony Fantano looking dude yelled at us because he didn't think we paid for our own ticket. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, that was one of the hardest laughs I've had in a movie theater. Not necessarily because the film itself, but the theater I was with, uh, Bring Back Theaters, uh, COVID's fake. But It's okay to be an immature 18-year-old boy seeing a movie, a sex scene in a movie sometimes. So, okay. um, it's nothing wrong. Ben, did you have any negatives? Uh, negatives? Honestly, not a whole lot. Uh, this film maybe runs a little bit long. But it's very atmospheric. It's very tone-heavy. And I think that the length definitely adds to the film as an overall first watch. But once again, rewatching it or coming back for uh, multiple viewings, I think it can sort of start to drag on for a little bit. But that's me nitpicking because, honestly, I think this movie is really good and sets out what it and completely accomplishes what it set out to do. Former guest Kyle Kuntz loves showing this movie to absolutely everybody he meets. So I've everybody. seen I've seen it a lot. So man, you should have had Kyle on for this episode then instead of me. So uh, Kyle did want to come on if we ever reviewed Midsummer. Uh, we forgot he Kyle. said that until after we booked this show. So uh, <laughs> sorry, Kyle. So, you got that being said. Uh, let's get into race. <laughs> Mitch, do you want to go first? 
how, how does this rating scale go? Is out it of like ten. Five, five or ten? Out of ten. ten. You give it a ten? Um, oh. I'll probably give it – I'll give it like a – probably like an eight. I don't think I've seen a movie like it in a little while. Um, it's been a while since I felt like I felt heartbreak and like uh, fright in the same like couple minutes. I haven't really had that much in a while. So I thought that, I thought the uh, art art was beautiful. I thought it was very uh, gorgeous. I thought I loved the the triangle shaped building, the sacrifice building. I thought that was incredible. Um, uh, every actor did their job well. Um, I loved it. I loved like the contrast between all the green and beautiful um, like fields they were living in, and then uh, like the the white sort of uh, like salty uh, sacrifice, like the mountain that the people jumped off of. I thought that was pretty good contrast. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Uh, eight out of ten. Eight. Eight. Jake. Oh, no, fine. I'll go. Jeez. Uh, I'll give this one an eight and a half. I think that it was better on the second viewing because, like, you. I think this is one of those movies where, like, if you know what's going on, I think it's better because, it, as we already talked about, there's a lot of really good foreshadowing and there is a lot of uh, symbolism in it. So I think. Maybe on my first viewing, I would have given it an eight, but I think on my second viewing, I'm going to give it an eight and a half and pretty much just echoing what's already been said throughout. But I guess there's one other point that I didn't get to make earlier. The music in this movie is so good. And in specific, the very final scene where it shows like all the all the villagers, whatever they're doing. I can't tell if they're laughing. I can't tell if they're crying, but they're just they're just doing that and it's like they're playing like the festive music like it, it seems like a happy ending and then it does like a, a turnaround uh, gosh what would it be called like a spinning shot and then as soon as it cuts to like a, the shot of the triangle house it just goes to like intense thriller music and it it's like a horrifying like bone chilling transition so yeah eight and a half I thought that was well done Wait, yeah. uh, you off, uh, Alex. So Ari Aster did uh, the strange things about the Johnsons. Yeah, have you seen it? Really? Yeah, no. We I, I, we've watched it before. That's that 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 makes a lot of sense. Okay. Honestly, at the moment. I didn't know if you'd seen it or not because I really wanted you to watch it after watching Midsummer. Just that. Speaking of something shocking in the first viewing, that movie's shocking in the first three minutes. So. It's only 30 minutes. It's on YouTube. If you like Ari Aster, watch it. It's messed up. Uh, more messed up than any of his other two uh, popular films. But Ben, you want to give it your rate? Uh, yeah, no problem. Uh, I thought that this was shot really well. Um, the color palette's really well done. The script is solid. Um, Mark is a Chad. Christian is the worst human being ever. And Danny, gosh darn it, if I don't want the best for her. Uh, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10. Uh, I'll give it a... I'll go Jake. I'll go 8.5. Uh, it's easy to get caught up in kind of the humor in it when you're watching it. With, not really humor, but just the stuff that shouldn't be funny that is uh, when you're with, watching it with your friends. But 
Deep Down is a really good movie. Really well done. Ari Aster does a phenomenal job. I like it more than Hereditary. I think they do different things, but I like this. I think he executes this more. I think that you really get reeled in with the visuals in this compared to Hereditary, where it is so dark. And I think Midsummer is a great film. Ari Aster did a great job, great script. Can't wait for his uh, third big film. I I bet it's going to be even better than the first two. He's he's a very up and coming uh, writer and director in Hollywood. So I'll give it an eight and a half. Uh, also. Uh, shout out enemy of the program. Belbert said Florence Pugh isn't that uh, hot. So wait, guys, disrespectful. Yeah, yeah. guys so, this movie is called Midsummer. Why'd we watch it in midwinter? <laughs> you're, you're banned from your own podcast. Uh, you're killing me. Alex, if it makes you feel any better, uh, Florence Pugh is in a relationship with a man twice her age in, uh, the guy from Scrubs. So I don't know if that makes you feel worse or better. Zach Braff. Zach Braff. Yeah, I was thinking that the whole time I was watching the movie. I'm like, this guy, this girl is dating Zach Braff, <laughs> and she's like, just kind of older than me, and she's dating a like late 40s man. <laughs> Good for Zach Braff, I guess. <laughs> oh, as I mentioned, we've got a friend of the program, Mitch, on now. No guest of the program. Do. You, you want to take us through your top five favorite movies, Mitch? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can do that. Um, man, that sort of came up on me quick. I didn't. I wasn't thinking it'd come up like that. I thought it'd be like a transition or something. That was the absolutely. transition. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Speaking of movies, we're going to go into your top five movies. <laughs> yeah, they- <laughs> I got the job done. Start at five. Yeah. Start at five? Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Um this is uh this isn't like obviously set in stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll, do it. I'll do it. It can never change I'll ever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is forever Jake's fourth favorite film ever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> episode one of the Team Podcast. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, number five, I'm gonna go with. I gotta go with uh, Re- Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> I'm not. I've never seen this movie before. Um, Requiem. I don't know why you're laughing. But it's a very. It's a very serious movie. It's called Re- Requiem. Requiem. I was just the bar. <laughs> I don't know. They never say that line specifically, but. Um, uh yeah, I don't know if you said just list them off and then you'd like talk about yeah, them or yeah. do you want me to like if you want to you talk about them. They're your movies. <laughs> um, I think I think it's actually like coming around. Like more people are starting to like go back and watch it, but it's just like a it's like it's honestly a little bit similar to um Midsummer. Like it's very twisted. Um it's more psychological than anything and it's sort of like changes you once you've watched it but it doesn't make you it's not an enjoyable movie to watch but it's it like really stuck with me and honestly it just sort of i don't know i i just remember always thinking about it like it's one of those movies that you watch you don't really it's not really a movie to like watch with friends or much but it's just like a movie that will like definitely stick with you nice what's number four Oh, okay. Um, number four, I'm gonna go with uh, the Big Short. 
Mm. Now that's uh, oh, is it good? You like it? You like yeah. that, uh, Alex? Think about it. What? What do you have? To, like, what do you think about the movie? It, it's good. I haven't seen it in a while, but I remember really liking it. Also, this is your top five, so you talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I could talk more about it. Yeah, I just think. All the actors did really well. Um, I was very interested in sort of like I'm obviously I'm obviously not a finance guy or anything like that by any means. Clearly, it's, it's just sort of one of those movies where it's like it's kind of like um, it's realistic, but it also it's very interesting. It keeps your interest. Um, it's based off a true story, obviously, and sort of how they they, they short the the stock or they short the um, housing market. Um, I thought that I thought that was kind of interesting, and it's sort of it's pretty fast paced, and it's fun to see it from. It's fun to see Steve Carell in a serious role. It's fun to see Christian Bale in any movie. It's fun to see um, Ryan Gosling um, trying to convince people to do something, as he seems to do in a lot of movies. I feel like Drive. Um, Brad Pitt shows up for like fifteen minutes total. Brad Pitt is like a computer nerd, which doesn't make any sense at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, mean, I think I don't know, after reading. I mean, obviously it's a very loose like list, but it seems to be it's like a movie that's just been that's stuck with me a lot. Honestly, hey man, just go with your gut. Uh, it don't matter. That's true. I feel like you might judge me, honestly. For my list, but I mean, it's just all based off the top of the dome. You know what I mean? So that's the best you can do, huh? What's your number three, Mitch? Okay, I leave the show now. Uh, number three, I got to go with Ocean's Eleven, baby. Hmm. No, I love this movie. Brad Pitt, it's a great movie. Brad Pitt's in it again. My boy George Clooney, uh, Danny Ocean. Uh, some like to call, um, but it's got it's got a lot of a little bit of everything. I, I don't really like violence, so I don't really like war movies. Um, but I do like like action and sort of intense like scenes and sort of like the trickery that they sort of play um, in Vegas. Um, and yeah, it's got a stacked cast. It's got um, it's got great action. It's fast paced. Um, it's suspenseful, but not like in a playful way. Um, so yeah, and, and that's a movie I watched a few times over, um, I guess, the fall, like during quarantine. And so I really enjoyed that. Ocean's Twelve and Ocean's Thirteen, not not as good at all, but Ocean's Eleven is where it's at. Your number two, Ocean's Eight is where it's at. Ocean's Eight, yeah, Ocean's Eight. Speaking <laughs> of number two, <laughs> no, but uh, number two, uh, I'm gonna go with the Revenant. I know I'm going with the the real heavy hitters, um, but uh, that's another movie that just sort of um, uh, uh, great, great. Um, um, I love the DiCaprio's. I love sort of the the intense. Like, I loved how um, at first. They make an enemy out of um, Tom Hardy's character, um, who sort of ditches uh, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's um, character, Hugh Glass, I think. Um, Hugh Glass. American Badass. That? Hugh Glass, yeah. He's a real guy. 
Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Um, in real life, Hugh Glass never never finds John Fitzgerald and gets his revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, he forgives him, right? didn't he? What's that? I thought he forgave him, like in real life. I think what happened was I, I remember reading it. Uh, John, the 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 bad guy, he like just ditched town and was never found again by Hugh Glass. By the time uh, he made it back to his base camp or whatever, you're you're probably right. I I you're probably right, but yeah, yeah. But I love that. Um, I gotta go with that. That's my number two right now. I love that movie. I'm also very uh, recent bias, so I love all these movies that are like very recent. It seems like what's, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Now what's number one? What's the best movie you've ever seen? Best movie? Well, I do have. Okay, so number one, I gotta go with. Right now, I'm going with No Country for Old Men. Yeah. yeah I know. I know it's basic. I know it's basic. Based. Everybody, everybody loves Javier Bardem. I know, but uh, um, yeah. What can I say about it? It's got a great. Um, the protagonist is pretty good. I think uh, Ethan Hawke. Llewellyn Hawes. It's Josh Brolin. Oh, Josh Brolin. Okay, yeah, Josh Brolin. I Famous. think this does really well. Um, it's uh, it's like sustainable, but the the antagonist. Uh, the Javier Bardem character, I think he's incredible. He's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Tommy Lee Jones is good in it. Um, my favorite, like one of my favorite scenes ever is when I think Tommy Lee Jones is pulling up to, he's pulling up like to the uh, motel area where um, uh, Javier Bardem's character is chasing uh, Josh Brolin's character. And uh, you don't see the actual murder go down. You just see like the car, the, the drive away car. And that wasn't even, that was it. You know, I'm sorry. That wasn't even Javier Bardem. That was um, somebody else. It was the Mexicans. It was the cartel. Yeah, the cartel. Absolutely. So it was very anticlimactic, like the, the murder of the main protagonist. And so I thought that was like, inc- like just so un- unusual. And like, I really enjoyed that part. Uh, but yeah, I think Javier Bardem, like the the sort of following all throughout the Southwest, I, I enjoyed that a lot. I enjoy Southwest culture. It seems like it just seems enjoyable. But um, I yeah, that's like probably that's like within the last ten years, that's probably like the one movie that I've like 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 really stood out to me mostly. It doesn't have much re. I don't really rewatch movies very often, but. They like stick with me sometimes when I watch them, so that's got to be number one. Stay true think, to yourself, yeah. I think that's the fifth time it's been someone's number one on the show. <coughs> Probably. Uh, I mean, we got a white guys from Iowa. There's me. There's <laughs> me. Current Elliot. Wasn't it Ryan's too? It was Elliot. Um, so five, so five, four of our guests, five including me, uh, of our favorite movies. Our number one movie has been No Country for Old Men. That's uh, it's really funny. It's really it makes me want to rethink my number one because I didn't realize it was that basic. But. Yeah, you, yeah, you're based. You're based, Alex. Basic, not based. You're based. No, based, Alex. <laughs> we live yeah, in a society. I mean, I sort of just threw it together, like based on the top of my head. But like, 
I got I got five more like honorable mentions if I could just like say them real quick. Go ahead. Let me say the names. The good, the bad, the ugly, the Clint Eastwood movie. I love that movie. Uh The Room, Tommy Wiseau, uh I think <laughs> for itself. Uh, uh Truman Show. Uh, good movie. Yeah, great movie. Jim Carrey. Boogie Nights, great movie. Good movie. That's a really good movie. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I really love that movie too. I like your honorable mentions more than I do your top five, Mitch. I'll be honest. I'm keeping it a hundred with you. I mean, you could probably convince me to swap some of them in and out. So mm-hmm. that says more about <laughs> should be able to change that easy, bro. <laughs> anyway, you guys want to talk some Bachelor or what? Let's give the folks what they came here for. <laughs> The Bachelor is freaking nuts this week. Uh, we're on week three. <laughs> we're on week three of The Bachelor, and this week it was another group date, which involved uh, erotic novel. Re- oh God! Writing it was. <laughs> uh, honestly, I don't really remember what else happened in the movie. Sarah was super dramatic and actually left the show. Good. She interrupted someone's. Uh, individual date during the group date so that was kind of crazy she left <sighs> yeah she left it, it was nuts what what else happened in this episode I should have taken notes yeah. Uh, yeah they had that uh, uh, erotic poem reading date and then they had the other group date that was just like a normal group date it wasn't anything special and then who was it Serena P got a one on one I thought uh, I really liked Serena P. I thought her and uh, Matt had good chemistry. I really liked her personality. She was very uh, she 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 seemed nervous, but also very like and like she it was the type of girl genuine. you want to genuine. Yeah, like she's she's very talkative. She's not like making you dictate the whole conversation or whatever. She's asking you questions. It was a very she seemed to get along with them very well. I really liked Serena uh, P. Okay, Matt uh, Mitch. Uh, this being the only episode of this season that you watch, what do you think? Uh, I, yeah, I agree with Alex. I really did like Serena. Um, so, yeah, she she just seemed pretty authentic. Um, she's obviously very pretty. Um, yeah, their date with the donkey, I thought, it was sort of like cliche and sort of, sort of like <laughs> eye roll. But I mean, overall, I think I think. I think I like Serena a lot. She seemed very genuine and in for the right and for the right reasons. She kept saying, "I'm falling in like with you," which kind of you know sort of solidifies it. Like she's not, just, yeah, she saw not that really, on Instagram in middle school and has been dying to use that on national TV. <laughs> no, but that was kind of that was kind of hilarious. This uh, episode at the beginning where uh, Matt had to do his own poetry reading. Oh, oh god! <laughs> I I would like to pretend that whole date didn't happen. It was so hard to watch and so that was funny. <laughs> oh my god! I was watching it. I was like, oh, can you imagine being Matt and just sitting there and just having to listen to these fourteen women read their erotic poems about you? He uh he like stood in the corner and said, "I just want to see what you guys came up with." <laughs> That's literally what he said. <laughs> One of them. One of them. I remember. I forgot whose it was. I want to say it was like. I think it was Katie. 
I think it was Katie. She like read hers and he was like, at the end, he went to give her a hug and he's like, wow. <laughs> he just gave her a hug. But <laughs> So uh, like he wasn't into it at all. You got me. Wait, no. <laughs> I forgot what story it was, but they were talking about eating beforehand. And like the reader was like, mmm, chocolate cake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they, they really they really tried to bring oh, the yeah. story to life with that one. Uh, Rachel got the rose on the group date. What would you guys think of that? Yeah, yeah sure, whatever. It seemed like the <laughs> She's very, well, she's very pretty. She's very attractive. She's like, um, she looks like a young Mila Kunis. Who does she look like? Mila Kunis. Yeah. When she was on like that '70s show, Mila Kunis. She Not looks like, like an, She looks like how old a young version of old Mila Kunis. I, I don't know what you're talking about, bro. But uh, <laughs> like Mila Kunis. what do you mean you don't know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't see it. Chill out. Uh, but that whole group day was kind of funny because like Rachel was the only one who got like a full, like quote one on one or that was a part of the group date because the next person who went Katie got interrupted halfway through and didn't even get a finish hers, which is kind of funny that Rachel got the rose because like the other like eight girls were kind of just sitting up in the lobby waiting for like maybe they could get to talk to him and it's a group date but only like three get to go each time, which is kind of funny to me. <laughs> So, what'd you think about Sarah's whole meltdown in this episode? Because she, so she knew, it seemed like she didn't know what she signed up for. Like, you're dating Matt, but he's also dating, you know, 31 other women. Like, it's a competition. In a I way. know. Yeah, it's a date. It's also a competition. Like, you knew what you signed up for. Why, why is it such a big deal to you? You know, what'd you guys think of that? I, I think it's so just like dramatic and just like, prima donna to think that like you're the only one in the entire show that has an entire like that has a chance at all i think it's i mean mm-hmm. obviously i think it's her trying to draw attention to herself because much like we see uh one of my professors gave me one rule of media where all publicity all publicity no matter how good or bad is good publicity so i think mm-hmm. in this show if you can draw the most attention to yourself and have not necessarily controversies, but have a bunch of people talking about you. I think that'll make it better to be able to advance farther and get more attention. You don't go on this show to win Matt's heart. You go on it to promote your Ponzi scheme. Or if you're the case of that guy on The Bachelorette two years ago, promote your music, even though you have a girlfriend back home. Yeah. Who cares, dude? <laughs> uh. What else I, gu- I guarantee there's like five pyramid schemes going on <laughs> on each Instagram of part of these girls. Something to add. Um, I know it was the third episode, so I might have missed all the introductions, but it seemed more like it was this. Like the show is more about all the women just competing, and it doesn't seem like I didn't learn anything about Matt besides he liked turtles. Like I really don't know anything about Matt besides he's tall, handsome. <laughs> He's like, yeah, they broke that down. They broke him down in the first episode. That's how like they started the series was like introducing him. So he's a he's a pretty. Yeah, he didn't really inform a lot. He played at Wake. He played football at Wake Forest, but he's overall a pretty vanilla guy. We were saying last week that he he's kind of like the guy who tweets like what seem to be super deep things, but aren't at all, and then gets like three likes on them and is like, "Wow, oh, man, I I should write poetry." Like that, that's just yeah. what the type of guy is, which isn't a bad thing. But so far, it, 
episode three didn't change my mind at all on him. I still think he's pretty vanilla. I think he's a good dude, but nothing really gives me the gives me the impression that he's like anywhere close to being in love with any of these. It, every date is just like, wow, you've got a story. Let's make out like that. And that's pretty much what happens every time. Yeah, yeah he kisses so, he makes everybody. That's his thing, no man. What. <laughs> That was so funny that, like, every time Sarah came in to, like, butt in, I was like, hey, uh, can I steal him for a second? And then they'd be, like, five feet away from the girl. She's taking time away from making out for, like, 15 seconds. (laughs) Well, yeah, when when he was sitting talking to Katie and she came in and grabbed him and talked and he went to, like, leave and Katie's sitting on the couch and they're, like, (laughs) making out behind this, like, like, you know, like this, like, uh, privacy thing and then like she can very clearly hear them making out that was so like oh, so funny no uh, Mitch, Mitch did you catch that Matt, Matt James kisses with his eyes open yeah yeah no and uh, one of my coworkers was talking to me about it because she loves it and she was like mentioning that too and sometimes she did sometimes she didn't like, it was kind of hit or miss like sometimes yeah. did, I don't know but yeah it, you do it even once. It's kind of <laughs> but yeah, the whole uh, the whole turtle thing was so funny that he's not like, obsessed. obsessed with he turtles. just like that was one quirky. He was wearing turtle swim trunks. Yes, so eight year old man. I bet he didn't plan that. He probably just had them. <laughs> I guarantee that's not his whole personality. He just has so little of a personality that turtles, I guess, are kind of big. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like he's so bland that like turtles fascinate yeah. him. Like, yeah, yeah, you'd be such no, a better no, contestant. No, no, you'd be so much so much better at this. You're right. Oh, uh, no, no, I work, but I'm more interesting than my favorite <laughs> animal being turtles. No, uh, uh, why I really yeah, hate this yeah, episode no, 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 because it to uh, made me agree with Victoria for like five seconds. That's why I hate the episode. <laughs> I like to what? a lot. Lot. Victoria, Victoria. Well, Victoria. Yeah. One hundred. I thought it was funny because like she came out when Sarah had her I, first break. Still, was like, like, are you okay? Because like we're like wondering what's up, and she like pretended to be comforting, but then when she came downstairs after she locked herself in the room all day, <laughs> she was like, "I just wanted to let you know why I'm here." And then Victoria was like, "You didn't let us know why you're here." Like to her face. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> So, so I call on the, like people will be talking, and Victoria will be like talking to Sarah, and Victoria will just be sitting there, and Victoria will just comment with something just super mean, and then just yeah. butt out the rest of the conversation. Super out. Uh, I texted super you out of this. Hmm? Yeah, what you say? Individual. Yeah, yeah. I said I she's very out of pocket. Apartment. Like uh, everything did you guys she said. Catch on the date when uh, Serena. Uh, P was basically just like shit talking her dad no. the whole time, <laughs> or not the whole. No, time. What you say again? In the beginning. So her dad didn't want her going on the Bachelor. <laughs> he was like super against it, and she basically like she's like, yeah, my oh, dad yeah. had a really linear <laughs> lifestyle, and basically just like called her dad boring, and that like he never went out of his comfort zone. <laughs> just right like, there. Yeah, on my national dad went television. to high school, then college, then he got a job, then he had a wife, and then he had kids. I'm like, yeah, that's like eighty percent of the population. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just funny. Imagine being your dad and be like, oh, there's my little girl. Oh, she's talking shit about me to everybody <laughs> in the country right now. 
Any other parting thoughts on The Bachelor? Uh, Alex, I'll give it to you, I guess. So the season's You get the last up. word on The Everyone's starting to get antsy with each other, but everyone also wants Matt at the same time. The villains have exposed themselves. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Turbo Team Podcast. Our social medias are linked in the bio. Follow us on Twitter at the Turbo Team Pod. You can listen to all episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform where podcasts are listened to. Thank you for listening.